What's up, everyone? This is uh, Matt DeMarinas from White and Blue Review, sitting with Johnny Atala from the Omaha World Herald. A um, little late on this podcast for Creighton Georgetown, but obviously the blizzard of the century moved in right as the Jays made that final, so we had to get home, <laughs> get safe, get buried, unshovel ourselves. Um, and now we're here to talk about the game. Um uh, Crichton wins 82-69, obviously. Uh, good game from Martin Crample. Really owned that big man matchup between him and Jesse Goman. Um, and then Caleb Joseph off the bench with 16 points. Uh, big lift for Creighton when things got kind of a little bit sloppy, maybe through the second segment of the first half there. Um, John, what are some of your initial takeaways, if you can remember them? <laughs> From, no, from uh, the way that transpired uh, last Saturday. What well, I think more of it's probably more of a big picture thought, but like Martin Crumple's emergence in the second half of the season has been really impressive, and I don't know um, if I don't know how he'll get rewarded for that in terms of an individual award standpoint <coughs> because some of the ways that he's impacted the game don't always show up on stats. He had that one really nice play where he um, – I think they brought a double team on Jesse Govan and he just, like, slapped the ball off Govan's leg to force a turnover. But, like, does that even show up in the box score? Like, I don't think it goes in as a steal, right? Right. So that type of play doesn't show up. Um, the offensive rebounds do. But some even – there was a play uh, where he – I mean, there's there's instances where he just kind of goes after the ball, keeps it alive, and somebody else gets it or something. Um, there's just a lot of little, and then obviously the hedging of the ball screens is the big thing where yep. he. I mean, that was their entire game plan against Georgetown, completely different than the first matchup. I don't know if they hedged that hard at all at and any they, point in the first. And one. they really got picked apart with it in the second half. In the second half, Akinjo had like 11 assists that day. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, what? What they were doing in the first meeting was they were kind of having the big man show and the guard was going over the top of the screen and trying to get back. So the big man would show just to keep the keep the opposing guard, um, Akinjo, in most situations from getting downhill immediately. Mm-hmm. And then Davion Mintz or whoever was guarding, Akinjo would recover back in time. But a lot of times there was just sort of that hesitancy of, well, is Govan going to pop after he sets this screen? Or can, how long does the big show <coughs> And then drop back to cover his man because there are instances where that big man either slipped or just rolled right away right. and got to the rim for an easy one. So the way I charted it, Matt, was I think it was of Georgetown's last 16 points, nine of them came directly off ball screen in that first in matchup. That first matchup. Yep, and then and two of those, two of the seven that don't factor into that, um, was like the but one of the buckets at the end of the game that like it was just Creighton was up four and Georgetown was just ran down and shot a layup. So essentially essentially it was nine of the last fourteen points off that action and um it felt like it and some of it was passive one one of them was Akinjo um went around the screen and just there was no defense there. Mm-hmm. Um either miscommunication or the guard got caught getting across and Akinjo pulled up for a three and hit it and that was the one that I think that might have put him in front late mm-hmm. and then Creighton found a way to get back in it. So Completely different game plan against ball screens against or Kinjo ball screens in the second meeting, and the Jays executed really well. And I thought Crumple was a big reason why they were able to. And one of the things that Greg McDermott said after the game um, is that 
it's really hard to do that without fouling. And it was funny, I was watching... Because his hands are really active. Yeah, you, but, but you have but to also, move your feet. But, but yes, but that's, that's the most important yeah. part of it for right. him. Yeah. Um, but if you move your feet and put yourself in position, he's got like pretty quick hands and, and, and I think good instincts there where he, if he sees the ball in a vulnerable spot, he'll poke it away. Mm-hmm. Um, he almost got one steal doing just that. And then I think another time he got called for a foul, but it wasn't, I don't know, it was kind of a borderline call that I think either didn't need to be made or may, maybe was a, a whistle that was blown too soon mm-hmm. um, that shouldn't have been a foul call on Martin. But anyway. That was his only foul. Right, was it really? Yeah. He only had one only in that one. one. So you think about it, he has to guard Jesse Gomez the whole game and then do that. Yeah. And he only gets one foul in that whole time in 30 minutes. That's pretty impressive. Right. So and I, That was one of the things Mac mentioned was to do that without fouling. Yeah. And so, but it's funny, I was watching the Michigan-Michigan State game and, you know, Cassius, Cassius Winston from Michigan State is so, I mean, he's a much better player than Jim Bikinjo, obviously, and mm-hmm. much more experienced. But, like, he's so good around ball screens and I... He might have drawn three fouls yeah. on the, on the Michigan big men. And just just hip checks. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, Mac Greg McDermott's point is accurate in that it is hard to do that against quick guards who are can be kind of savvy and try to just um, they know you're coming, and so they're going to try to get there before you do. So you have to be careful about where you're at positioning wise, and um, and so anyway, I thought that he. I mean, that's all that he did with that. Those are things that don't show up in the box score again, but then he had 22 and 10. So, yeah, like, that does I show mean, up in the that box That shows score. up. Yeah. Um, no, it's interesting because, like, I thought he was he was really effective doing that last year, too, and I thought that's a big reason why Creighton's defense wasn't didn't have as much teeth as it did before he got hurt last year was because when he was 100%, that was what he, he showed he was capable of doing that. Um, and since he's gotten back to 100% this year and taken off maybe since the Oklahoma game or around there, um, you know, I think Creighton's defense has gotten a lot better because of his ability to do that. Yeah. Um, I know you charted their defensive efficiency improvement. I don't know when that started. But when the improvement started? Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't be shocked if it was around the time when Martin started feeling right. No, nah, because they had, those, they had some bad games against Marquette and Villanova and uh, – Butler. No, those some of those were influenced by turnovers and, and right and Marquette, Marcus Howard just being Marcus Howard. But um, I think the the trend really began Butler at home, pink out. Mm-hmm. That was when um, it started. It started yeah, making mm-hmm. the improvement. But I don't mean to like. I I agree with you. No, no, it's... I do agree with you. But the data says a little bit different. Okay. Um. That's why we use but, the data, because yeah. we, we think of something in yeah. our mind. Let's see if that's right. right. I hope it's not. Um, that's interesting, though, uh, because I feel like, you know, especially going forward, we'll talk about that Marquette game um, towards the end of this, and then I feel like we're going to revisit what Martin's able to do in ball screen coverage ver- with Marcus Howard versus what they did the first time. I think Creighton has become more confident over the last month in implementing that hard hedge into its game plan more consistently. Like, against Georgetown, they literally did it the whole game. Right. Um, they hadn't, I don't know if they've ever done it the whole game for a game. Mm-mm. Now, part of that is it takes a lot of energy, and so I don't know if... Do you wait till the second half? Yeah, do right, it? Yeah, and yeah, you, don't want, right. you don't want a player like Marcus Howard to be comfortable against it. So mm-hmm. um, a lot of teams, like Xavier, they beat Villanova and... <laughs> One of the first things that Coach Travis Steele said after the game was like, you can't do the same thing 
with your ball screen defense for a full game against this team. They're going to eat you alive. Mm-hmm. A veteran team, you can't do that. You've got to switch it up. So I would imagine you'll see Creighton switch it up. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I just thought Martin, like what, he is, what he's done and put together, again, I, I don't know. I feel like first, first team all Big East is locked up. I don't think he's going to get a spot there. But right. I think he's got a real good shot for second team, and I think he's got a real good argument as like the best – five man in the league if you don't count Pascal who doesn't feel like a five to me but right. um, I guess he is a five in their lineup no he actually he's no, not, he's not. He's yeah four. he's a four yeah. so to me Martin you, you can make an argument that he's the way that he impacts the game again he doesn't have the, the numbers of Jesse Govan but I think he he makes well we saw on Sunday he made more of an impact in that game yeah I think but he, I when think you factor in the defensive side yeah. of it yeah he does more and more than Govan does yeah um, and he's more impactful um, Caleb Joseph was obviously huge as well um, and he really got he really kind of changed the game because while Creighton got out to a good start Georgetown started and like they, they got into a rut with turnovers and they weren't really able to build on the lead that started at 8 nothing. Georgetown was able to chip away at it, and then eventually they took the lead on a Malinowski three um, to go up by one. Creighton called timeout, and then uh, Caleb got shot fake into the paint, got that little elbow jumper to go, and then Mitch Ballard found him in transition for a wide-open three on a huge miscommunication by Georgetown. I forgot to go um, back and look at that possession, by the way. The first one out of the timeout where Joseph hit that three mm-hmm. or hit the jumper mm-hmm. felt like that was a really good possession. Maybe it started yeah, a lot slow. of ball movement. A lot of ball, yeah, yeah, that's a lot what of ball it felt movement. Like. Yeah, yeah. And he he ended up with the ball in his hands at the end. If you look at that type of possession, like that's what I think Creighton Creighton would like its half court offense to mm-hmm. be, where it's constantly uh, the ball. The motion moving. offense, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right, Just and it doesn't it, matter. Cut. Yeah. Who ends up with the ball in a playmaking position? It's the all, that, all over. Right. All that matters yeah. is that person who does makes the play, like mm-hmm. doesn't defer. And I think that's kind of what we saw at the end of the Seton Hall game, where it was like, if somebody got it into a playmaking position, they didn't actually make the play. It right. was kind of like trying to keep trying to say, all right, who does it? Mm-hmm. But like, I think that's how Creighton's offense ideally would work. And so, yeah, when Caleb Joseph had the ball in his hands, he made that. He didn't even have to do anything special. Pump fake, one dribble, pull up. You know, yeah. like that's. But that's what the offense, ideally, if it's working right, that's what right. it does. And to your larger, to your larger point that you're making, in the DePaul, in the win at DePaul, and the win over Georgetown, you saw a lot of balanced scoring. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just. You know, Tyshawn was the guy late. He said he scored eight of his sixteen. Um, in the final three and a half minutes to close at, it, at, that at was ball. Yeah, at yeah. DePaul. Um, but I think a lot of it was on stuff you're talking about, just being aggressive off of the ball movement and, you know, driving when you've got a driving lane. Um, but so that's to your larger point. But Caleb Joseph, he though, back to that. Like eight of the, he had eight of the next ten points after the, Georgetown took that one-point lead. and That three he it was hit. Pretty much, I don't think the game got close, maybe closer than six after that. So, like, that felt like yeah. the final run that I think Patrick Hewitt had to use his third, third. his second time out. His third yeah. came with 40 to 28. Yeah. So he used the second time out of the half. After Caleb Joseph's eight, eight yeah. ten run, so that was a pretty big stretch of the game. That, um, that first three hit was like a pull up three at the end of the shot clock, which was a tough shot. Yeah, and he knocked it down. He also, by the way, scored eight in a row in the second half for Creighton too. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more. It was over a longer stretch where I think the Jays' offense was might have been when Georgetown went to zone for a bit. And then the Chase kind of like lost their rhythm a little bit offensively, but he was kind of a consistent force for them. 
So, yeah, it's it's good to see. I mean, he's he's a guy that's always talked to when we talk to him, he always expresses um, sort of a team-first attitude and usually doesn't like to talk about his own individual talents or abilities. It's more about a sort of collaborative approach for him but or a collaborative mentality. But um, that was a good game for him. And I don't know. like He's been ready when his number's been yeah, called this year. Like, it, yeah, but there were stretches when I think they needed him to do this I think maybe earlier this month they could have yeah, used it. Yeah, without Marcus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They could have used it a little bit. Obviously, Villanova was the game that probably exemplifies that more. But, but, but I mean, I think I would argue that he did show it in spurts. Like, he hit that bit. He had a big shot to give him the lead against Seton Hall late in the second half when after Seton Hall was up 12 and Creighton started knocking that thing down. Um, he was the one who gave him the 49 46 lead, I think, uh, with a big three late, you know, to put them ahead. And then, obviously, against Villanova, he was making some plays. Um, they obviously missed the two out of three free throws that could have won the game. But, you know, he's been there in moments where they needed someone to step up. And it's uh, interesting to see out of a guy who hasn't been getting consistent playing time throughout his entire Creighton career that he's just ready when you need him yeah. type of deal. It's, it's, it's kind of impressive in a way because it would probably be easy to go the other direction on that mentally, just switch it off. Um, not be there all the time and also have that affect you in practice but it doesn't seem like it has. So, you know, you talk to Connor and you talk to Caleb these days and it's like they know that their time's running out and they're not getting, I don't know what kind of emotion you would probably have in that situation, but concern isn't one of them, like a, a shortage of time. Yeah. Or I think they're they're just hungry because they want to get back to the NCAA tournament. And I think it's interesting about Connor, too, especially, because I was thinking about why does he... I was trying to think about why they still believe they can do that. You know what I mean? Because at 15 and 13, with one of those being a non-D1, they're essentially one game over 500 with, what, three regular seasons left, games left in yeah. the Big East tournament. And I'm trying to figure out, like, what in the mind makes you... Makes or prevents doubt from creeping in. You know what I mean. Well, I think part of it. I think part of it, honestly, is like you don't want to even acknowledge that there's a possibility that it can happen because in college basketball, there are so many instances where it seems like a team season might be over and then it's resurrected, Mm -hmm. or someone makes a late season run and then all of a sudden they're in the conversation, or. Big East tournament, you you win the tournament and you get. That's it. what I landed on with Connor because I was trying to think. Well, if you think about his career, he's been in a conference that you have to win the conference tournament to get in, essentially, right? So yeah. his mindset has always been, you know, get it together, get it figured out, and then when your conference tournament starts, put it all together. And so maybe that's part of his mindset. I'm I don't know if that is for sure. I haven't asked, but I wonder if that's just part of like, hey, we know as long as we keep moving forward making little bit little strides here and there um, that we can put ourselves in position to feel at least confident going into the Madison Square Garden and that, like, you know, all the close games that they've lost, they won't face a team other than St. John's and depending on how the rest of the schedule goes at Marquette, home against Providence and DePaul, they won't face a team other than St. John's that they haven't, they probably don't feel like they can beat or haven't had a shot to beat. You know yeah. what I mean? St. John's is probably the only team that they haven't had a shot to beat. Because right. they had a shot to beat Marquette. They had, yeah. they had Marquette they had beat. beat. So, yeah. 
Um, Same with Villanova no, on yeah. the road. Seton Hall right. both times. Xavier, they whipped them in Omaha. Had a chance to beat them in Cincinnati. They will, they will go into the tournament with that mentality. And mm-hmm. I think they will also, the St. John's, they'll be able to sort of, those two games, so we'll be able to sort of in their head rationalize it to say, like, we, we played really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this in the second St. John's game, for sure, that was like the... Um, this is the last time that I can remember, and maybe one of the few times this year, where Creighton just didn't have the type of energy and enthusiasm and effort that it it normally does, or that it wants to have, or that it strives to have. Right. So, but yeah, you're. I think you're. <coughs> I don't know. I don't know what the source of it is for those guys, but I think I've heard this from a few players that, I mean, if there's games on the schedule, why would you not try to? put everything you can into trying to win those. Mm-hmm. If there's still a chance that you can make, you can re- reach your goal, why why allow yourself to shoot for something lower? Like, mm-hmm. I think that they're, I think, and I think also the fact that they've had moments of improvement, they can see their defense trending in a better direction, rebounding better, um, they're getting healthier. They're close in these games. I think that has helped fuel sort of that let's keep getting after it mentality mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, if, if they couldn't fix their problems or more guys were getting hurt and um, they couldn't put a finger on what was costing them games at the end, I think that maybe you would see a different reaction. Maybe, though. I'm not even sure because these guys have found a way to f- keep fighting and showing up despite setbacks all year. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the. It might just be part of being a competitor. You know, you you play to win. So, what are you going to try to prepare to not win? I don't know. <laughs> they want to keep winning, and so that why not? Keep, if there's a sliver of hope, yeah. even if it's just a sliver, maybe just maybe the best. Uh, bet is to focus your energy on that instead of the all the other reasons that might I agree. pull away from your willingness to f- keep competing and working. I agree. I'm not going to disagree with that, but I will say there have been reasons that this team could have gone the other direction with just their level of engagement, and I, it's it's weird because normally there is a little bit of ebb and flow. Like sometimes you don't have you know, the greatest week of practice or something like that. And I just always, I've never, I haven't gone into any of their games. I'm trying to think even in the non-conference where I felt like they didn't prepare well. Um, but I can't, I can't remember back that far. But I know specifically for the Big East, it feels like Creighton has prepared well enough to win every game. Even the St. John's ones that they got blown out in, the the preparation wasn't the reason they got blown out. And I think there's something to that because not that's hard to do over the course of a season. Like even if even teams that have really good seasons, like even the team that, you know, was rolling in the top ten a couple of years ago and, you know, only lost that one home game to Villanova before Maurice Watson went down was that team had ebb and flow to it. That team had bad practices. That team, you know, didn't always have its A game in terms of preparation. Um, but this team just always feels like, all right, next one, next game, what do we got to do? How do we got to prepare? I just don't feel like 
I feel like there are reasons. Like we can talk about the re- the reasons they've come up short in games, you know, all day long. But I don't know if their practice habits have ever been one of the reasons. I mean, that's Do you probably think that's yeah. I'd, I'd agree with that, but it's hard for me. I don't know. I don't have a huge, long history to put it into context and compare it to other teams and how they practice. So mm-hmm. I think from my vantage point, just sitting and watching, yeah, I think that they've. Well, one we can go back to is we thought the last practice on Friday before Georgetown was starting in that it, direction, it right? It started slow, but I thought that some of the leaders did a good job of mm-hmm. trying to encourage guys and get the sort of energy up, and the coaches did too. McDermott wasn't there, but the assistants were there firing guys up, and I thought it had a little bit of a slow vibe. We both did, yeah, I think. Yeah, uh, for sure. And then, like, that was noticeable, I thought. Yeah, and then it, but then it kicked into gear, like, after mm-hmm. 30 minutes or so. Uh, maybe even less than that, but yeah, I mean the, the if you want to look like kind of big picture, long term type thing, some of the, a lot of the things that they, you know, the idea that they've been consistent with their practice habits and their mentality and their approach is is a if you want to establish sort of a baseline for how you're going to go about, um, you know, the grind of the season or how you're going to handle sort of the ebbs and flows of a season and you would imagine that next year and the year after they will be better that these younger guys will improve Mm -hmm. and so there may be fewer dips but they'll be better equipped to handle those dips and they can kind of get the season if the ship kind of like use the analogy of a a ship sort of like veering off course a little bit there there will be they will have a foundation in place to where they know how to correct course Mm mm-hmm faster yeah um so that's a good thing and it's also probably i mean i would imagine that given some close losses and some injuries and the fact that the big east is so competitive there's not much difference between three and ten that this could this season could have gone south too if if the jays hadn't been able to bring the right mentality into practice, and they've been able to do that so far. Mm-hmm. And there's only a week and a half left. Well, two weeks left. Three games in two weeks mm-hmm. of the regular season. So, yeah. We talked about their chemistry at the start of the year. I think we did. I know I wrote about mm-hmm. it, and I talked to a lot of the players about it. Um, they like each other, and one of the things that I remember talking to some guys about was just – do you think you'll still like each other if you lose, you know, that type of thing? Like, right. what happens when adversity strikes? It's yeah, really like, easy to have. Bad? It's really easy yeah. to have, to like everybody in the summer and the off season when the optimism's high and, and you're thinking, third straight NCAA tournament, let's go. <coughs> let's get ourselves in the mix for a Big Ten or Big East championship. Um, but when you don't get that and you are falling short of where you want to be, how do you treat one another and – how do you make sure that your unity of vision remains the same mm-hmm. and it doesn't become more individualistic or um, kind of... You, About agendas. Yeah, yeah, right. I think <coughs> I think it's, it's worked out for them in that way. But, and it, it would be, I'd have more proof and more evidence of that if they would have won a couple of those close games <laughs> because then suddenly it would have been more clear that they had sort of dug themselves out of the hole that they set or they, they fell into at the start of the season or the start of the Big East season, but they didn't. But, again, those, in their minds, they feel like 
they can still crawl out of that and hold their head high, heads high at the end of the year. And, and to me, I think a lot of that is based on some of the things that they've improved on mm-hmm. over the last month or so. Um, I don't know how many games this year McClung, Kendrick, and Govan have all been in single digits. Can you think of – that seems Ooh. like a rare feat, right? Well, Govan's only We're, been we uh, Go, about, that was only the third time that Govan's been in single. Well, that'd digits, be an so. easy sample yeah. to look for then, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Just find his three and see what McClung yeah. and Akinjo did. Um, yeah. we, we we talked about McClung and Akinjo or Akinjo specifically on how they defended him, but um, he still had eight assists though, so you give him some credit for that. But yeah, I mean, he just he can do that. I mean, I think he had eleven and they looked easy last time. And he didn't, I don't think he scored but five points. Um, but Govan, like, I don't know. I, I've, part of it was Creighton's defense, but part of it I just didn't feel like he was there, especially early in the game. I mean, the only three he hit was banked in and yeah. rolled in. Like, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a rhythm shot at all. He couldn't have felt good off his hand. Um, I think it was over Sam, too, and he bank- and Sam had a good contest on it, too. So it was, like, banked in, then it came out, then it rolled back in, so yeah. it was a pretty lucky shot, but... So without that, he's got six points on, what, three of seven shooting, so... Two turnovers, only three rebounds. Just, I mean, he had to be. Well, I think Patrick Ewing was incredibly disappointed in his team's ability to come out after that Villanova win. Yeah, but I don't think he was any more disappointed. I think I think Govan was the one he was most disappointed in because he's that's the guy that needs to show up. Well, even if the freshmen are like trying to learn how to deal with success, Jesse Govan is a guy that probably should know how to how to be ready for a game, no matter who it's in Govan's defense, though. I do feel like you're arguing with Patrick Ewing now. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but it felt like they, Georgetown's guards refused to feed the post. And it wasn't just to Govan, but it was also to LeBlanc. Pickett. Or Morning. Like, they, and, Morning, and, and their Morning attempts, doesn't go in the post very much. He stays he, in that. He's kind like, of like face-ups. Yeah, he's a whatever. face-up guy. Um, Which is crazy because he's a big body. Like. Right. But they... I mean, they, how many turnovers did they have? Well, oh, actually, just dreadful. Passes. They, they had some. They had. They did try to feed the post. Yeah, never mind. They were just horrible passes. Here, go chase the ball, <laughs> yeah. big. Like they weren't even close. Um, and, they, and I think they had one on the they, first possession of the game where Pickett rolled, and I think he had Tyshawn on him in the post, and the ball. Wow, that was a loud sneeze. Hope someone's okay. Um, and the feed was like not even in the same neighborhood. Yeah, I mean Pickett's a long dude too, so for him not to be able to reach something. That's got to be way out of whack. And that, yeah, you're right. The post feeds were just dreadful. They weren't very good. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. Sometimes so, is I'm, that Creighton's defense then? Perimeter defense? Is that just like the pressure they're applying to the ball, and, making and it tough for the angle? Yeah, and I angle. thought Creighton's guards did a good job of fighting it for a position in the post and fronting when they needed to and mm-hmm. just being there with the hand to deny. Even though there were a couple instances when you and I were talking, we were like, I'm pretty sure they could still get that pass in there, but for whatever Correct. reason, that, <laughs> that hand that they're using, the Creighton's defenders, guards, smaller defenders are using to put in the way of the pass. People were, uh, or Georgetown was, their, 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 their distributors were a little bit hesitant to throw the ball there. Mm-hmm. Um, double teams. I can't remember their game plan inside because, I, seriously, I don't feel like Georgetown got many touches inside. They did. Um, they did. They the did. Double. They did have the hot. They did have hot heat. Uh, like, what's the? What's their fire? Is that their call? Yeah. yeah. Like, they did have their double teams going for Govan on catches. Okay. Yeah. That's um, right. I don't know. I don't think they doubled the block on catches. But I also think he's more of a roll to the rim. Um, 
just go up and dunk it kind of guy. I don't yeah. think he's got back to the basket moves yet, but yeah, Gobin they double teamed in the post. Um, and with Martin hard edging on ball screens, there was probably a guard taking him away for a minute before Martin could get back, and then it's usually like a half front, right? Stay in position stuff right. type of deal. So, yeah, I mean Creighton did a good job of making it tough, but I still feel like for a guy like as I mean, what is it? he's Govan is this so you're, if you're arguing that he's an all league caliber player, yeah, exactly. He no showed, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? That's just the bottom line. And I think Patrick Ewing or would like probably felt that he did because I think he took him out for a good stretch there in the second half as like a, you don't have it today, yeah. You know, you're not giving us what you need to be giving us right now, right? Especially coming, off, I thought they were, I thought they were better, especially with with him, and, he, like Govan came, he was coming off of two games where he scored 20 points in each, and I think he was something like. What was the number? It was crazy. Like, His efficiency? Yeah, well, like 20 to 25 really? on two-point field goals or something. I mean, he a lot of – maybe it was 25 of 31. That seems too high, but I know they could have been. I know they didn't miss much against Villanova. So. They were – he was such a force inside, and he had mm-hmm. a lot of offensive rebounds against Villanova too. Like, kind of the activity level was a lot different, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's probably fair to highlight him as sort of the uh, – the whole team, Georgetown, didn't have the same, uh, I guess, Patrick Hewitt referred to as effort level mm-hmm. as they did against Villanova. Dealing with success was hard for this team, but if you're going to pinpoint one player who exemplified that more than anyone, and I guess one player who should know better, shouldn't, yeah, and also be the guy who sort of jump starts it in a good way, yeah, that would be Go Van. Yeah. Um, let's see. Mitch Ballack had a pretty, I think, a pretty underrated game overall. Uh, eight points, five boards, six assists. He had that infection on his elbow, so he was wearing a sleeve and then a sleeve over it. And I go in the right, yeah, it's his right arm, right? Yeah, sleeve, sleeve over it. Um, he was a game time decision. He missed practice the day before, but he's like... Like Marcus, you have to cut his hand off. You have to cut Mitch Mitch's arm off for him to play. And even then, it's not it's his non shooting arm, so he might still argue with you. Um, but uh, I thought he had a really good game. You know, one that probably didn't jump out, but I mean, his plus minus was plus fifteen, so he had the best one along with Tyshawn on the floor. Only thirty minutes. I like what Creighton's doing with the bench, by the way. I know. Can we talk about that a little bit? Maybe. Yeah. Good, good game, Mitch. Now let's talk about the, yeah. the rotations yeah, I mean, hey, being extended. He, like, he had a good game. Yeah. He, he distributed the ball well. So this is two but, games in a row now where Creighton's kind of extended the bench a little bit to kind of like they're bringing some guys back to the 30 number instead of closer to the 40. Yes. And, like, I think Huge. that's a good – especially My if you're going to have to be playing maybe four in New York if you want to make a run. Like, you're going to need bodies ready. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I feel like Creighton's getting to that point where they're like, yeah, we're going to – we're going to roll these guys out like these guys are going to play 8 to 10, these guys are going to play 12 to 15, and these will be our 30 guys. Like, yep. I think it's, the last two games have been pretty good. Um, you've seen like two games that have been really consistent in terms of extending the bench. A now I'm, kinda, I'm just kind of curious to see what happens against Marquette, right. especially if it's close in the second half, mm-hmm. and if the Jays are as willing to use their bench. Because I, I think I – think they're better off when they do. I think. I mean, I don't have a big enough sample size to experiment or, or analyze it. But based on what I've seen, I feel like 
I think you can make an argument that Creighton has worn down at times at the end of games, and mm-hmm. they've relied a lot on their starting five. Like maybe some of those things where we were talking about, like it's a mental mistake here. Maybe that's due to physical fatigue. Yeah, right. Um, Even though the players have argued that it's not, <laughs> they, they do argue that. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the idea, of, and, and the other thing that I think too is, you know, if Creighton's going to start Marcus Zagorowski, Damian Mintz. Martin Crumple, Mitch Ballack, and Tyson Alexander. Mintz is the only one who, before this season, had logged heavy minutes on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. Everyone else had never experienced this much workload. What does it take when you're um, when you're tired and at the end of a grind, and you still got to like muster up this extra bit of energy and focus to finish out a game? Mm-hmm. It was interesting. I think back at that Villanova game last year where Marcus Foster and Kyrie Thomas, they played the whole game. whole game. Mitch played 43 minutes. Yeah. Uh, I think I think Marcus might have sat for like two minutes or something like that. Okay. But the the, the effort that they, that Kyrie and, and Marcus had in that game um, was incredible. And I think Jay Wright made mention of that after the game. It's like they, they just played so hard, mm-hmm. those two, for the entire game. Yeah. And I just – I think the only way you you can get that out of somebody is if they've – they've. It's kind of, when, did we, when did we talk about this on a podcast once? I thought we did. Where you, you're pushing yourself, but you don't realize how much you – You don't know yourself. where your yeah, – Yeah, you don't know where your limit is. Until you've gone past it. Right. And those yeah. guys knew what their limit was, and they knew that they could give more and more and more and more mm-hmm. in that game. And I thought that was a really good example of what, um, of, of of why it's so valuable to have veterans who you can lean on in a key conference game. Mm-hmm. And it didn't hurt that they were playing well. Like Kyrie opened by hitting his first five threes or something like that, you know. So yeah, that yeah. and the crowds into it, so that's lifting you up too. But but there was a point in that game where they were down eight with four minutes right, left, and right. they had the, they had another push. Yeah, you know what I mean. So like, yeah, that goes to your and, point. But I just think it's hard for like sophomores and freshmen to sort of summon that when they haven't ever summoned it before. Right. And maybe they're figuring it out a little bit as this, as the season's gone on. But um, my thought is it, it it does seem like a better long term plan, especially with the Big East tournament in mind, to start utilizing the bench a little bit more consistently and yeah. just taking the Two, three, four minutes off. You know yeah. the because final if, game if you think total your best or the shot single to make, game total. If you think your best shot to make the NCAA, if you're putting all your eggs in the NCAA tournament basket right now and you're still playing for that, the best chance you have is to win the Big East tournament, and the best chance to do that is to have some depth. You know, other than unless you're going to walk the ball up like Villanova, you can get away with having a seven man rotation yeah. or, or six man rotation. But if you're going to play a seventy five possession game or higher, you need bodies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially at the pace you're playing at. So, do you disagree? I thought you... No, no, no. I was yeah, You blinked for a minute. You are like, I don't no, know. No. Um, well, I was thinking... But was if you thinking. think about Davion at 35 minutes, that's yeah. essentially two... You know, we talked about, like, how Creighton can steal rest in the... Because all the media timeouts and then the coaches' timeouts. But think about how many timeouts Patrick Ewing called and then the one that Matt called. Then all the media timeouts and he still had 35 minutes. So, that's two... Essentially, two rotations of rest that he got in live action. Tyshawn at 32 is three. You know, Mitch and Martin and Zagorowski around 30. That's, what, three to four minutes of, or mm-hmm. three to four uh, rotations of rest. And then everybody else, like Connor at nine, Sam at nine, Damian at seven, Caleb at 18. Like, 
And then the game against DePaul, I think 10 guys were at 8 or more, right? So this is, what's that, 9, 8? Eight? 8 guys at 8 or more with Damian at 7. So, like, that's all. When you get towards the end of the year and you've got guys you can count on, having everybody ready but having everybody be able to play at the same also meaningful minutes yeah. is, is huge. And I've always thought, too, that, like, okay, Creighton wants – if I'm, well, this again, this is probably more of a bigger picture comment and less about this year and more about next year. But I've always thought that um, Creighton, if it wants to wear teams down and push that pace, mm-hmm. that doesn't it make more sense to have 10 guys your one yeah. Yeah. that you can just kind of consistently in, 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 uh, in league play, especially because a lot of times you'll see that's when teams trim down their rotation and they really mm-hmm. rely on. Um, you know, they're top five or six or seven guys. But if, and you know, if you're you Creighton. Know the, and the other crazy thing, too, like the lineup that got Creighton over the hump against Georgetown was one I think we mentioned we haven't seen very much, or at least didn't remember it very much. Like, what was it, Caleb, Damian. Uh, Tyshawn Dave, was out there. Tyshawn was out there. Was, Dave, was it Davion and? And Martin or Sam? I think Davion had to be. Is it Davion and Marcus was out there? Okay. I think it was Davion out there, but it felt like a, it felt like a lineup that hadn't been used very much, right? Yeah, and it put together a ten zero run, right? So like, yeah, go into. I the, think that was the lineup. Was that? I'm trying to think. It was, it was in the first half. I'll look it up while you make your point. Well, actually, I wanted to kind of pivot a little bit. Okay, go ahead. Because I wanted to talk about the Big East tournament. Oh, you did? Yeah, because okay. it, something just popped in my head about how so many Big East teams are relying on their top five guys or top six guys or whatever. Like, if you look at the distribution in the league, there's a lot of teams, especially at the top, who don't have a lot of depth that have been um, sort of really leaning into some of their best players to get them through this season. They just – it's uh, – the league has been relo- – this season for the league was about re- reloading and um, guys developing – trying to emerge in new roles and a lot of teams are doing what Creighton's doing or have gone through what Creighton's gone through not in the same maybe not to the same extent that the Jays have but anyway I guess that's that was my thought is like I think about all these games that Creighton's played and I look at um, how other teams have used their bench and it really hasn't been very much and I wonder if that'll give Creighton an advantage going to the Big East the Big East tournament now that obviously they have to win some games but the longer they're there the more if they can continue sort of utilizing the bench and, and utilizing the reserves, like the more that'll show up as an advantage in New York. Because mm-hmm. different guys are capable than one that maybe isn't on the scouting report or the advanced scouting report could step up and give you maybe, what, five to six minutes that just change the game. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, like against DePaul, Connor Cashel was big off the bench, and then Caleb had his game against Georgetown. So if mm-hmm. if you continually have a guy each game who comes off the bench and gives you 10 to Plays above his level 14, yeah. that, I mean, that can make a big difference, mm-hmm. especially when you're going against tired opponents. Mm-hmm. So just for the clarification, the lineup was Caleb, Davion, Damian, uh, Tyshawn, and Sam. Okay, that, that, was, was the that was the 10-0 run? Or that was the first five of the 10. Uh, oh, okay. Then uh, they subbed again. Martin came back in for okay. the rest of it. 
But even with Martine out there with that group, that I don't remember seeing that lineup much. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. That was the first punch out of the timeout after after Creighton called the timeout. By the way, did have uh, you? Are you thinking that Creighton's not going to get a top six seed in the Big East tournament? Yeah, it looks unlikely right now. I don't know okay. if you were playing around with that. I haven't. That, no, I haven't that looked at it. Thing. After Xavier's win yesterday, it looks pretty tough. Okay. It looks. It's not impossible, but I think it's likely that Creighton is a is playing on Wednesday. Because there's just not enough. Even if they get to eight to ten, eight and ten. Yep. Because they're not, they're so not gonna they're not gonna have the assumption is is they're not gonna pass the teams ahead just, of them. The, right the, the way the tiebreakers are like are spitting out results at me. Like yeah. I don't even be. I'm not. I'm not pretending to. to be able to like an art articulate it right now. But like, a lot. It's really convoluted. But, but like, uh, let's see the. Because uh, um, <coughs> where Creighton's problem is right now is they're already at the nine loss mark. And they're hoping teams come to that. Right. They're not. But but no, not a lot. But only DePaul and Providence are there so far. Um, Butler, so Butler, Georgetown. Butler, Georgetown, Seton Hall, St. John's, Xavier are all at eight. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or less. Right. But they all have played fewer games then. Correct. Except for Xavier's at seven and eight. Yeah. And, I mean, it's there's there's it's going to get weird, man, because, like, Villanova's got – they've lost four or five, and they've got Marquette next. Um, they still have Seton Hall on the road, like – I'm not gonna say Villanova is gonna slide to the three, the six or something, but <laughs> no. it's not impossible. I'm saying, you know what I mean? Uh, um, that feels kind of impossible because, like, did they you, already have they look, have eleven wins. Did you wins, watch so. them yesterday? Yeah, they, but they, they could, look like they're dead. Right, they could lose out. Ruth and Pascal look like dead. Don't they have eleven Big East wins? Yeah, they're yeah. eleven and four. Uh-huh. So they could finish eleven and seven, even if they lost their final three, and still, they could still be the two. They in that still, scenario, they, they at still, eleven and seven, right, right. Like, I, I mean, don't even know if anybody else is going to finish eleven and seven in the league. Uh, I think St. John's still can. St. Right? John's good. But so, yeah, it's possible yeah. to see Villanova in the four or five games. All right. Not... So if, if you're, yeah, that's true. All right. If you're Creighton, your hope is then that you probably want St. The problem is St. John's and Xavier both play each other. So you like, do not want to play St. John's in Madison Square Garden. <laughs> do you do not want that. anything else? You'll take. Well, like, I, no, I, I guess what I was saying. Okay, so you're just talking. But I was, I was thinking that it'd be a better idea for Creighton to avoid three six. So you think it'd be better for Creighton to be in seven ten or eight yes, nine over three I do. six because. Because because that's where St. John's is probably yeah, going to be. It's a three. It's either three six or four five. Remember we did the tiebreakers and we just yeah. like, all right, let's let's do best case scenario, let's do likely scenario, let's do worst case scenario, and it's like they always run into the red storm on day one. You do not want St. John's on day one at MSG. So, like yeah, I think while the fans will be like, oh, we're a playing team and all that, and like there's some kind of like negative aura around that, but like people forget Xavier's elite eight run started with a seven ten game against DePaul. Yeah. And they were losing at halftime of it too, so like they they weren't going in great, um, and but, they only won two. They only won this, the quarterfinal game, but and then like it just jump started. You know, like, they also got having the extra large and the likelihood. I guess right. you can make the argument too that but like, the extra game is maybe beneficial, that would be right? helpful if you're trying to rack a quad. Wins. It would be yeah. a quad one game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I I honestly I sort of sort of mapped it out just a little bit, and it really feels like Creighton to get an at-large berth in the NCAA tournament would have to win every game until the Big East Championship. Yeah. I think that's fair. That that doesn't it does other, any other I actually think that's like me, I think I, I think that's rare. I think that's the rare optimistic and fair thing, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like a, a prediction. Because so, otherwise, if Creighton's trying to get in the NCAA tournament, the best path would be to win the I mean that to me seems less probable than winning the whole Big East tournament. Yeah. To have to 
just to go in, go in to New York confident and then make a run there. Yeah. But Which Madison Square Garden be, tends to yeah, do. I know, but it's like, going to be very hard to win four in four days. Um, and so I guess the best case scenario would be to avoid the playing game and also avoid St. John's. But you're telling me that that may not be possible. Yeah, those two I don't think are possible. <laughs> <laughs> Just the way it plays out, they're always playing the Johnny somehow. Yeah. I don't understand why the... So it just feels like that's right. the that's where. So they're, maybe they're the best land. case scenario would be for St. John's to win out and Villanova to lose out. So yeah. then that way they both finish a tie for eleven and seven. Who has that tiebreaker? Over St. John's. St. John's and Villanova. And Villanova. Well, if it's just two eleven and seven teams, St. John's will have it because they swept Marquette. Did Villanova and it, St. It'll, John's? It'll just go to the top of the standings. Yeah, but did they? Uh, they split. Split. They did. Okay. Villanova won in Philly. St. John's won right. in MSG. So maybe that's the best case scenario for Creighton, and then it can find a. Then you play Villanova in the three six, but right. this is so you basically under the assumption yeah. The argument is, is: Do you want Jay Wright on day on his team's day <laughs> one, or do you with a full Jay Wright with his team having lost seven of eight? <laughs> but I way. mean, I I don't know. Like it's weird because the league was a little bit unpredictable this year, but I think after non conference play, like we kind of honed in on like okay, Marquette looks like the best team in the league. Villanova looks there. St. John's, we don't know yet, and then everybody else. And then, like, for the first half of league play, that changed a little bit. Villanova looked like, okay, they look like, still like Villanova. Marquette looked inept against St. John's both times, even when they only lost by one at home. Their offense was in a funk, clearly. Yeah. And so it, like, reshuffled a little bit, and now it's, like, kind of, like, going back to what we thought it was after non-conference play. Like, Marquette is clearly looking like an unstoppable train right now, a runaway train. And Villanova's, you know, taking some losses because of the situation. Like, we thought some of the things that would limit them are limiting them. Um, and St. John's, and, John's, and, and St. John's has been helter-skelter. Like, yeah. all those things are starting to play out. Right. So, like, it's kind of funny. As unpredictable as this league was, we kind of pegged it pretty good. That's why it's kind of, I mean, uh, kind of. It's really disappointing for Creighton fans because, you know, the the likelihood of you losing – every single close game that you're in and league play is very small. Right. And so <coughs> to have that happen in this particular season, now Creighton's at six and nine, you could easily come up with a scenario where if we're talking about five close games in league play and the Jays win two of them, then suddenly they're at eight and seven and you have a f- totally different complexion on right. what they're capable of and maybe not what they're capable of. I think we have kind of formed that a little bit over the last couple of weeks of what they can, could do, but certainly where they stand and what their profile nationally is. But they didn't get it done. So now they have, they'll have they go to New York sort of with their um, all their eggs in that basket. Mm-hmm. And we'll see what they can do. But Okay. Um, let's get to questions. Then we can talk a little bit about Mar- Marquette, the Marquette game. Maybe some... I have to scroll back here because it's been a couple of days. I think we only got one question. I think it was about Jaylee Winters, which is weird. If I'm remembering right. Yeah, that was the only question we had. We did have, we did get one today, but how many how many threes can Jaylee Winters <laughs> hit? Yeah, um, this is from Michael Mills. So when will they retire Jaylee's jersey number? So when would you do that if you were? Because she would be the first, I think. I don't think any other volleyball jersey. We're in DJ Soko Arena right now. Yeah, it's just Connie and Tanya right now. 
when would you when would you bring Jaylee back to retire her? Isn't jersey? it something like they usually do them when the career is ending, or is that not what she's done with as a professional? Oh, okay. Or maybe they just do it whenever they can get them back on campus to have a big. That's probably scenario. more close it's ceremony. To the real yeah. reason, yeah. So. Whenever that is, I don't know. Would you do it as soon as possible, or would you do it just, would you, like, hold off on it and, like, wait till years from now when she's got a family and stuff like that? Or? I'd probably just do it. Why Why? Just why wait? Yeah, I she's understand. one of the best players. I, I'm, a, I'm asking you to make oh, a decision. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you, why wait sounds like a good enough answer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it took him, like, how long did it take him to retire Kyle Corver's jersey? Probably don't need to wait that long. <sighs> yeah. But, again, that was probably part of... He's in the NBA, and any time that you wanted to have a, a ceremony like that, he was busy. Right. Unless you're going to do it in July. I like we both agree that her, that her jersey should be retired, though. There was <laughs> yeah. no discussion over that whatsoever. We just it's decided phenomenal. that. We were just trying to pick a date. Um, I'll miss watching her compete. No doubt. She was the GOAT. Um, this, is, this is a basketball question, though, from John Schulte. How did the coaching staff adjust with Mac out part of last week? Um, well, I mean, the adjustment was Paul Lusk was uh, kind of the predominant voice, but he handled the defense mainly, and then Huss handled the offense, um, and Preston did. Like, you know, they've delegated that this year. I think we talked about that before, that they've delegated their roles. Um, so there's not necessarily a chain of command, but there's, like, guys have certain assignments on a daily basis. Huss does the offense. Preston does personnel, opposing yeah. personnel. Scouting reports and plus uh, does the defense right. And Preston also kind of works with. I feel like he does a lot of the sort of drill work, skill work stuff. Mm-hmm. And whereas Huss offensively is more kind of um, schematic oriented. Mm-hmm. And yes, and then Lusk has done a lot of the defense. But you know, you know, what, it, else, you know what else Preston does? Like his role is also like I don't know if, how to say it, but. He's just the guy that gets everybody's minds back focused, like when they're frustrated. I do hear a lot of players talking about how, oh yeah, and then I talked to Preston. Yeah, and I was he's good. he's <laughs> the guy. He's like the guy that gets everything back on track mentally. I yeah. think when they're just like struggling uh, through a tough stretch or just it's not there, you know. I think he can be tough. He can get after guys, but I think he's also the guy that can have, you know, a conversation with most of them and get them in the right spot mentally. So, on top of um, his personnel and scouting, he also does that for the yeah. team. But I think you're right, though, that it was almost, while Creighton missed Greg McDermott's voice and I'm sure his perspective and insight, it was almost like they were prepared or suited for 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 having a scenario where he wouldn't be there because they had all these guys doing different things, and they just kept. They just did what they had done all year. Where right. The only difference was Mac wasn't there to oversee it. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas the last couple of years, it's practices. A lot of times, it it would be McDermott, and then led by whichever other assistant was working on the scout for that week, for that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and the voices would change, practice or game to game, the in the prep leading up to those games. Whereas this practice, these practices without McDermott there, were very similar to what what they'd done all year. It right. just he wasn't there, so that actually kind of worked out a little bit. And I think that they 
they they made that Greg McDermott said they made that switch to make it easier on the players so that you wouldn't have to adjust to maybe a little bit different style of you know okay well this is a Al Huss led practice because he's got the scout for Xavier this week mm-hmm. and then all right we're done with Xavier now Preston Murphy's leading this practice so it's a little bit different sort of feel to it all these practices feel the same um each coach has his area of expertise, and they hear from him when it, when they work on that part mm-hmm. of the game. So, yeah, they it was pretty seamless, it felt like. Agreed. Probably um, helps, too, that Paul Lusk was coaching. It was a head coach of a team team. <laughs> yeah, the last right. seven years. So. Yeah, it's a seamless transition for him. Um, uh, and and also, by the way, too, I think you do have to give some credit to the players. We already talked about this, but, like, yeah. Jordan Scurry and Martin Crample, I thought the day, the Friday before the game, were the reasons that this thing got jump started and turned from possibly being a letdown practice to it being locked in and everybody and engaged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like the you know, and Jordan Scurry's a guy who doesn't get a lot of run. Um, you know, people don't talk about him a lot. He, he got the scholarship again, and people are wondering why that's even open to give to him. Like. There's, he provides a lot of value to this team that just does not show up in a way that you can analyze from a data standpoint, but his energy level is, you know. You want to talk about guys who like have the heartbeat, the guys that you can lean on, the guys that you know can get everybody engaged. Like, everybody on the team likes Jordan. Um, he can say the tough thing. He can say the right – like, he knows when, if it has to be harsh or it has to be encouraging. Um, he knows when it needs to be said. And – his energy level is one of the reasons I think they haven't had a letdown practice this year because he's always engaged. Yeah. You know, even when he's not right physically, you know, when he's getting beat up, um, he's always there mentally. So he's probably been the main reason that Creighton hasn't had a drop-off in terms of focus. And honestly, from my perspective, just watching Jordan Scurry uh, – Hot heat, hot days, scorching Gordon's oh, Jordan Scurry right. days. When he's or... Michael Jordan, Steph Curry instead of <laughs> Marcus Jordan, Seth Curry. Yeah, <laughs> those those days when he's when he's cooking is pretty fun. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> he had a good practice. I think it was he was playing Miles Powell mm-hmm. and he was hitting all these tough shots and talking trash and having a good time. Yeah, it was pretty enjoyable. Not as much probably as enjoyable for the uh, Davion probably didn't the first it, team. Yeah. <laughs> right, the first Dave. team. <laughs> The first five guys who uh, were getting yelled at by the coaches, but mm-hmm. uh, for me, as a bystander, I enjoy watching. Yeah, it was fun watching him get in his bag a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about this Marquette game coming up. Uh, it kind of does. It kind of have the same feel as that Villanova one last year. Is like Creighton playing to change their season with this thing, or does it really not matter? Does it? Mm, I don't feel like it has as much weight as that Villanova. The Villanova one was like. Did you feel like if they lost, they weren't going to make the tournament type of deal? Yeah. Okay, yeah. And right now, they're They're already out. Yeah. Yeah, They're trying to play their way back in. True. And that even that seems like a long shot. Last year, it was like, this thing is But I think to go, but to to go to your scenario, I guess, for a question for you, is like to go to your scenario where Creighton gets in off of not winning the Big East tournament but getting close, is this win important? Yeah. Is this win crucial to that whole... Like, can they drop Marquette, lose in the Big East title game, and still make the tournament? In I don't scenario? think so. No, okay. I don't think so. So from that perspective, it does have. I could. I, I don't. I don't know. Because they're like, let's see, three and nine against Quad One, mm-hmm. and five and four against Quad Two, mm-hmm. and they. 
a lot of those quad two wins are against teams that are probably not going to make the NCAA tournament. Right. And so you have that piece of it, which I think is the most important piece. Like, it seems like the selection committee, when they talk about what they are um, looking for, mm-hmm. they look at what's your record against good teams. Right. Quality teams. Mm-hmm. So And teams in the field. We, just yeah. had, we had that conversation with Brass the other day. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. So who is Creighton? Creighton hasn't beaten anyone in the field yet, right? Um, Other than the majors, maybe? Clemson? They, they, is Clemson in? Are they? Yeah. Um, can we get two more minutes? Okay, sorry. We'll be quick. Um, now we're disrupting uh, yeah, we are women's just, basketball yeah, workout, we're, so we've got to end this podcast we better wrap this up real quick. Uh... But yeah, just like a quick take on the last game. Like Marcus Howard obviously had 53. We don't need to remind people of that. But like they did a good job on everybody else. Like um, the Hauser brothers had 26 on 19 shots, um, and even Marcus Howard had nine turnovers. But Sakara Anum only had seven, and he killed Creighton the last time they played in Omaha. So you know, I think I wonder how much of the game plan gets tweaked because I feel like I feel like they'll be fine. If they just told Marcus Howard to go ahead and try to get 53 again, but you also, from a coaching perspective, you don't want that to happen a second time in a row and go, well, we didn't adjust. You know what I mean? So, yeah. like, does Creighton start with the same game plan and then adjust from go there. from with the hard hedge ball screen to just get the thing to get him out of his rhythm and make him go backwards? Well, and you got to get him. He shot 14 threes. He did. You can't let that happen. Right. The one of the when he's isolating Davion, that that. It makes it tough because do you send people at him and leave people open? Like I don't know. And who do you leave? Because the car and him is like he's a shooting, guy. All of a sudden, you can't leave anymore. Yeah, he's shooting fifty percent from three. But uh, honestly, if, if, do I would I rather take have Sakar and him taking a set shot from the corner mm-hmm. or Marcus Howard hitting a step back one on one in rhythm? I think I'd rather have Sakar and him taking a set shot from the corner. So mm-hmm. uh, I just hope that he's not hitting fifty percent. If I'm a Creighton coach, that would be what I'm saying. Okay. Maybe, so like maybe, yeah. So the so question is, Sakar and him wide open versus. Marcus Howard with a Davion's hand in his face. Yes. I would take Anum. <laughs> he wants Anum. <laughs> Dude hit 10 to 14 and all those he were did. guarded. Were he any of those wide open? I don't no, think any of them were. I don't think any of them were. So You're right. I think, You're not wrong. I think the idea is run he him. He wants Anum shooting wide open. Run him off the three-point line. Mm-hmm. You're right, though. I could conceive of a game plan where all they did differently is just run him off the three-point Run Howard off the three-point line. Right. And everything else was the same. I don't know if that'll work. I don't know if anything will work. But if Creighton wants to find its way back into the NCAA tournament conversation mm-hmm. without winning the Big East tournament, they got to win at Marquette. For sure. All right, that'll do it for this podcast. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Sorry it's late. Um, the weather was crazy. Uh, white and Blue Review, you know where to go, Omaha.com. John, you got anything you want to tease this week in terms of anything? It's baseball season and stuff. Anything in the hopper? Same old, same old. All right. Lots of sports. You know where to go. Um, and we'll have another podcast tonight, too. So you're going to have a lot of podcasts to listen to if you want to. When are you and Chris recording next? Probably at the end of the week. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, podcast coming up with uh, John and uh, Nebraska beat writer Chris Heddy. Are you guys going to have Boone on, too? Because he's kind of got the best team in the state right now, right? Does he? The hottest team in the state, certainly. The hottest team. Yeah, you guys, some, one of you needs to, one, next you week. and Chris need to flip a coin to see who gets knocked out of the rotation. <laughs> Which teams, don't, team doesn't belong in this conversation. Um, yeah, but uh, until then, we'll probably hit you guys up after the Providence game. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good week.